Welcome to the Being the Change podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Vanderbeer, here with your other host, Isabel Kiyosayan. We are the founders of Meditation Without Borders. And today we have an interview, our first interview in a while, uh, with the amazing Joe Jarvis. Joe hi. is a. Oh, <laughs> say hi. <laughs> hi. <Sorry>. <laughs> Joe is a meditation teacher, Vedic meditation teacher, like Izzy and I. Um, and she has taught. Uh, not only has she taught women, uh, formerly incarcerated, incarcerated women in Philadelphia, but she has taught at the Rikers Island Detention Center in New York City. And we are here today talking about her experiences with that. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. We are so excited to hear what you have to say. I talked mm-hmm. to Joe a little bit um, on Tom's retreat and we were like, we need to share this with our listeners. It's so amazing. I remember when I first yeah. heard about what you were doing, it, it, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to interview her so I can just talk to her and have an excuse to talk to her. <laughs> 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 well, thank you. So um, if you want to just tell us a little bit about your story and how you got there, whatever you'd like to share. Sure. Uh, yeah, well, I, I began teaching in Rikers Island just before the pandemic. Of course, we didn't know it was just before the pandemic when it was just before the pandemic, but it was. <laughs> and um, so what I kind of saw, thought was going to be this sort of ongoing teaching role that I was going to have there um, was actually truncated. But the way that I got there in the first place is probably a good place to start. Is um, I, I've always been interested in incarceration um I used to be or I still consider myself a journalist um and as a journalist I reported on an issue in Australia uh which was about the deaths in custody um Aboriginal deaths in custody it was called so it was it was about the fact that there was a disproportionate number of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people who were killed while in custody in Australia and um, yeah, I was I reported on that for quite a long time. It seems kind of unfair that you would be um, paying for your whole life for a mistake that you make, even though some of those mistakes are, are terrible, of course, um, and that there be no rehabilitation, that you make a mistake and then you, you don't have an opportunity to learn how to be better. And so that's just always fascinated me as a concept because it's not particularly sophisticated. And um, it doesn't seem to be like a well-functioning society doesn't do that as far as I'm concerned. So it's always fascinated me. And then I became a Vedic meditation teacher about seven years ago. And during that time, uh, my teacher, the guy who taught me to be a meditation teacher, a guy in Australia uh, called Tim Brown, he told me that uh, that thousands of years ago meditation and rounding which is a an advanced technique in this um in this tradition um was used uh kind of as a rehabilitation technique and it because it was having such a profound effect on me at the time I could feel myself just like rapidly changing I it just immediately occurred to me this is what they should do in prisons you know you've got so much time to sit there and to actually you know, take the time to do something like this. And so that's when the seed was kind of first planted. And then um, many years later, I moved to New York City and I was I was a teacher at this point. And um, 
I decided I wanted to go into prisons. I actually did it. I came to the conclusion that I wanted to do it with Tom Knowles, our teacher. Um, he and I were talking one day and I was telling him, you know, that I, I loved being in New York City. I was, he of course knew I was new to the city and it was hard for me to grow um, my uh, student base because I, I didn't really know anyone. It was taking me a long time to make connections with people. And he said, well, who would you really like to be teaching? You know, if there was a cohort of people, who would it be? And I said, um, people who are incarcerated. And he said, I'll go and do that. I'm like, oh, but you know, don't you think I should do this with like, do, do you know, for getting more students? Shouldn't shouldn't there be? Um, shouldn't I focus on that? And he's like, no, you have to follow charm, you know, as you, no doubt you've talked about in your podcast series. <laughs> so I, that's what I did, and that's uh, that was really the beginning, and that's how I got into Rikers Island. I, it was actually very easy. I, I approached. Shall I just take a break? I'm going to take a good hour here just to <laughs> No, you want to ask a question? We're fascinated. Yeah, yeah. Please go on. <laughs> go on. All right. So, look, then the question is well, how do you actually get into a prison? You know, is that, um, and, and I, so what happened was I approached the New York Corrections Department, uh, New York City Corrections Department, and I went to their volunteer section and I basically just applied. And initially I applied to teach women and one of the, they gave you a checklist of who you want to teach. And I said, women, minimum security. Cause I mean, I just made an assumption that that would be easier. And um, I sent that off and then nothing happened for a week, then two weeks. And so I got on the phone and then nothing was happening. And so I rang maybe four weeks later and I got on the phone, I spoke to this and they said, oh, we'll put you through to this guy called George. This is kind of funny. This is what I'm telling you the story. We'll put <laughs> you through to George. And I got through to this guy called George and he said, oh yeah, I've got your application. We have it here. You're going to, you're teaching, um, uh, who do you want to teach? And I said, women and minimum security. And he goes, oh, that's why you've come to me because I'm men, maximum security. He goes, I'll send you over there. I'm like, no, 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 just I'll do that, you know, because I just thought <laughs> it's going to get lost in the system. So yeah. so I ended up um, being given men in maximum security. And at that time they were sending me out to Brooklyn jail. And the day that I was meant to start in Brooklyn jail, um, they literally closed the jail, like, gone and I thought oh no there's my opportunity to teach gone but it turned out that someone in that prison was was going out to Rikers Island and that's where they were going to start they were going to continue their employment she said oh you can come with me so that's how I ended up out at uh out at wow. Rikers Island that's amazing yeah because yeah. I know it's a bit of a journey yeah I'm looking yeah into right now San Quentin out here and it's a okay. multi-month process to get approval to go in there Right, is it? I, yeah, it's 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 a thing. So so I'm, I'm right. starting that process now. But um, something you said really fascinated me, which is how you were interested in um, this this teaching this group because of the concept that that you know someone is ma makes a mistake and then they get put away without you know the ability to to re rehabilitate. And to me, that's it. it you know, we talk about in this podcast so much and in our teaching about evolution and that really all these things that happen to us, all these things that experiences we have are meant to, to help the evolution of ourselves and the evolution of others. But this, this idea of just putting someone away, having made a mistake is really, it's like how within ourself, we put away those parts of us that we don't even want to look at kind of out of sight, out of mind. 
And if you think about like everyone else, that's our big self. So that's like the macro version of what we do with ourselves. where we're like, oh no, I don't even want to look at this. So I'm just going to put it away. It's other and I'm putting it away. And so by you going in there and raising the consciousness level from the inside out, hopefully it can even evolve the whole structure. It'll evolve the consciousness of the society enough to evolve the structure of the prison system itself. But the prison system is a reflection of the consciousness of the society. I mean, yes to all of that. I think it's really beautifully put. Um, that's true. The prison system is, it's a reflection of how you treat people in prison or as a reflection of the society as a whole. That's true. I, uh, I, I've just recently set up an organisation called The Light Inside, which mm -hmm. is to teach in prisons. And to, um, yeah, so other me uh, meditation teachers join me. Um, Actually, that you know, I'm just at the moment setting up a website, and um, part of the mission is all around what you were just saying. So that you know, uh, you take the individual, and you get a number of individuals, and then you grow the, you know, you evolve the entire place. <laughs> you know, mm. because everything evolves with it, and not only are the you know the um people who are in prison the incarcerated people not only are they kind of part of this very dark very you know backward i think it's fair to say very mm -hmm. backward system um but you know they're affected by it but so are the corrections officers yeah. um yeah and so to get into teach each day i catch a bus if anybody's you know, just recently there've been kind of a spate of tv shows which can are about rikers island and often they'll show the people who go in to visit people in rikers island going in on a bus and it's called the q100 and you get on it and um in uh in queens somewhere you get on this bus q100 so you know there's me and there's people who are going in to visit people on this bus and you go in there and um, once you've got, you go in like, well, I think it's, it, it takes about an hour for to get like, to do the whole thing. You then get in, once you get in there, you go through this whole security check, then you get on another bus, then you get into, and when you get on that second bus, I'm sitting with a bunch of often corrections officers. So I hear them talking and now they've started to talk to me and they tell me, um, just how difficult their experience is um mm -hmm. particularly the women talk about it i suspect the men have to act very tough and they don't talk about that they, they don't talk about how hard it is but the women do and they talk about being slashed at times awful things happening to them so yeah it's a broken system and everybody suffers within it of course um some people are um, exacting or um, are the perpetrators of the um, of the difficult times for other people, but really that everybody's suffering on some level. And I believe that with enough people meditating, including the corrections officers, there could be, you know, there could be big change in these places. Mm -hmm. Now, I love the idea of teaching the prisoners and as well as the correction officers themselves, because that really will help lift the system more and not just um helping the individuals themselves no i mean you know obviously individuals themselves uh, I'll, I'll take anything and <laughs> i guess i mean, i'm sure we all would you know just yeah. the thought of somebody being in there once who has got the you know the conscious receptivity to learn and not mm -hmm. having that chance seems 
tragic you know so yeah yeah so and so I just want to get in front of just even one person but you know fortunately Mm -hmm. it's been more than that and um you know and that number and that number grows um can I tell you a little bit about Rikers Island itself why why I think it's a fantastic place to teach but perhaps not the place to run kind of an experiment where you might change a system yes it's of course um okay so in the united states as opposed to australia where i come from um you have prisons and jails and prisons are for people who have committed a crime usually um they've been first of all they've been uh convicted of that crime and it's usually over a year that's when you go into a prison in these other places jails um it's more like a, in australia we call them remand facilities they're places that you're remanded before you go to court to have your case heard and then to and then if it's under a year you'll stay there it tends to be the case certainly in rikers island or you go into a prison so rikers island is actually a place where people are awaiting trial and invariably if you haven't been able to post bail it's because you're poor uh, so it's, it's so it's disproportionately filled with uh black and brown people and uh people who are poor um because they're not really settled these people are not i guess you would say they don't see them staying there for, for a long time as opposed to somebody's in san quentin for example within a 30 year stretch or whatever I, I think that, number one, there's perhaps not the receptivity to learn that I think I will, that we'll find in a prison, but, but, second, but secondly, um, it's difficult to test over time whether the situation is changing. One, whether they are, because it's really hard to keep track of them. Mm-hmm. Because you know they might. There's some people that I will teach, and then oh, they on the third day of the course, they're just not there because they've been called just um, into into court or something like mm-hmm. that. And also, um, and then they'll leave and they'll be let go into prison or whatever. They'll which are always upstate in New York. The prisons are all upstate. So it's it's uh, you know there's been some really good results and we'll talk about that in a minute but i think what what my aim is is to go into an actual prison with a group of meditation teachers work for five years um and measure the results and do this in conjunction with the um administration of the prison where you know we all agree to you know there'd be some sort of measurement and that we do that on a sustained basis over five years and then i think you know it would be an opportunity to result um to see just how it's affecting the prison as a whole, mm-hmm. as well as those individuals. You know, what are the recidivism rates after that? And also what are the, uh, what do they call discipline, what they call disciplinary infraction rates. That's how, you know, they, in prison, they measure how people are behaving by, well, they call them disciplinary infractions, how many infractions you have against your name. Yeah, yeah that'd be fascinating. <laughs> I'd love to be a part of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe we'll all be doing this together. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, we've tried so much to get into. We had one uh, prison that had said yes, we were going to do it through a a nonprofit called Plan B. And we had everything set up to start in May of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) And then COVID hit and doomed. Yeah, doomed. (laughs) Doomed project, as were many of our projects that year. Yeah, but... Um, (laughs) <laughs> we've we've gotten close and so I've gone to several 
women's prisons um, to see how they're doing to, you know, scout where we would do everything. And something that I've found fascinating, um, this might be my, my non-evolved self, but I used <laughs> to think as people in prisons as like, oh, they're bad. You know, they're, they're, they're not good. And what I found was that they're just like everybody else. And as you said, they, they've just made a mistake. And so to me, that was absolutely fascinating. I don't know what you've found to be to some truth in that when you were teaching them. I mean, I met them for like one time, but um, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about your experience with that. Hmm. I mean, sure. I guess... I have found that, so I've been teaching men in maximum security who are meant to be the worst of the worst. And mm -hmm. certainly um, they, I mean, I don't, I don't check to find out what people have done. I did one time and then I kind of regretted it in a way. Um, not because it changed my view of him, but I thought it's just better taking people as they come. So that person that I checked out, he had, um, stabbed a man in the chest he'd been masturbating in the street a man had come up to him to stop him and he had stabbed him in the chest um obviously somebody who does that is not mentally well um now that man i've he was complete delight to teach delightful and um these men so when i teach when i go in there as uh, when when we do the puja we hot they hold flowers and they love holding the flowers and they actually like literally <laughs> love it. They're like, you know, oh, can I have a flower? Can I have a flower? And then um, they will bring the flowers in the next day, you know, with them into class. And I'm like, oh, you actually, um, you could leave that by your bed to remind you to, to meditate in the morning. And they're like, oh, no, I just want, you know, literally I want to have the flower with me. I mean, it's not what you would expect. Now, you other thing I should say is I, I do do an intro talk like we do, you know, so people who are, they're self-selecting. So nobody's forced. So there may be people there who are hostile. And certainly mm -hmm. one time I went in to give an intro talk. I mean, I felt like there was a pretty hostile reaction, but it was really not towards me. It was just a lot of posturing by people being tough. And so I've had both experiences. I haven't had anybody, nobody has been horrible or rude or anything like that, but just kind of hostile at times. Yeah, because people don't know who you are and they can be a bit suspicious. Um, but I also think realistically, when somebody has, if somebody has been, you know, done a premeditated murder, they messed up. <laughs> so they're messed up and mm -hmm. I take that seriously so mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're a lesser person but it is certain some certainly somebody that you know you where you would be wary of so yeah 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 it's like you hold both you know yeah. you have you see the unity points and you see this is my extended self you know that the young kind while also holding the karma kind knowing like okay this is someone who's my extended self but someone who has killed someone in the past so good to have my wits about me um, exactly yeah yeah, yeah that, that was similar when i was teaching in the homeless community it was it was just you know keeping an eye out while also just feeling love for everyone i was seeing um but but certainly you know um taking 
very vigilant stock of the co the consciousness states of those around me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's only it's only smart to to do that, mm -hmm. um, and you're not really serving anyone to not to not recognize that. I also I also don't actually feel in danger, though. I should say that mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't because there's a ton of guards around, and I mean. You know the people in prison they're really they're hurting each other they don't want to hurt the people it was put to me you're not in danger because you're bringing something that they want to do so yeah. really the um violence in prison is against each other and against the corrections officers right so yeah and you know apparently there is plenty of violence in there so it's one of the things when you're working in the prison you find that um prisons are really unpredictable places so because people are locked up for multiple hours a day perhaps you know 23 hours in a day to like well they're allowed outside for one hour in a day and so this you know there is a cage it's certainly in the place I'm working that's the situation and so there is a bit of a caged mentality so yeah. there's this kind of pent up it's understandable um when they um you know so sometimes you do tend to to feel that from people and the unpredictability is that i think that that promotes um violence or at least it promotes um you know activity that might otherwise not happen and so when that happens when there's violence somewhere the whole prison just shuts down like literally mm -hmm. slide alarms go and you, and if you're walking around the prison so if I'm going from one house where I'm teaching they're called houses these areas where people are housed within a whole jail if you like so there are there are 10 jails on Rikers Island I teach in the maximum security one within that jail there's about another I don't know 30 houses perhaps within it and within it that houses a number of men in each one of those maybe in the ones I've taught 30 to 40 men in each um, so when I'm going from one house to another, if there's violence somewhere, anywhere in the prison, the thing, the whole prison just shuts down, all the doors closed and an alarms go and you might be stuck there for an hour, two hours until that mm -hmm. thing, you're like literally just standing in a hallway for that long. It's uh, um, an unpredictable environment. Yeah. Good for your patients. It's really fascinating. <laughs> have, you, have you been able to develop relationships with some of the um prisoners and see see an evolution that has come with their practice hmm. i have to some degree um so before before the pandemic i taught i think it's 20 men to meditate and then when i went back two years later a couple of, i met up with a couple of those men again and just by chance, you know, just they happened to be in the place that I then went to teach. And both of them remember their mantras. And, you know, so if you think of it like this, I went in, I think it was February 2020. I think it was February, it could have been March. And um, gave them the mantras, gave them the, uh, the three-day course that comes after the first day. And never had a chance to follow up and see how they were doing. And then I came back two years later and they remembered their mantras and they said they had been, they said they'd been meditating sometimes, who knows what that means. And they then came along and then they've come to my classes now. Now, 
to me is that evolution i don't know it's just something's something's interesting them something is charming to them um and they've come along and they've been you know really delightful students and which is which has been wonderful to have them because it then encourages other people to come along when they see these guys coming along so mm-hmm. there's that then there's there's one particular guy that i think of called michael and he he is extremely diligent he meditates all of the time all the time he meditates so i taught him maybe two months ago and every time i return he's still meditating and he just smiles a lot so (laughs) and i must say that i don't the men that i teach are not they're not particularly uh what would you say they're not they're not particularly it's not even about not being articulate they're not they don't really talk very much you know there's yes no they smile and they, smile and, <laughs> and they don't show they're not that curious about anything other than just show me how to do this and then they'll close their eyes and you can see some of them transcending and what I imagine is transcending and then they smile at the end of it and then they come back the next day so <laughs> that's really that's really how it's gone um is that evolution? I think so. I think the very fact that they come back each each time, that they uh, then come to the group meditations, I think that's all a sign of evolution. Yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. I When I was going to go teach the and I was scouting, um, I met some of the women there and a lot of them were afraid to close their eyes um, because they themselves felt in danger and um so we asked tom about it and also about if the unstressing would be too much so i don't know if you've had a similar experience with that and if you could share that with us yes um it's a good it's a good point um when yeah so basically some people don't want to close their eyes so what i say to people is um when we get to the bit you know at the beginning when somebody's learning to meditate you say um so you know close the eyes what i say to them is close the eyes to the best of your ability so that may mean half closed a little bit closed or wide open whatever you feel comfortable with and there was one man who would come to the class and he would stand in the corner he wouldn't sit down and he wouldn't close his eyes but yet he came every time and (laughs) I'm like how can this be doing anything you're like where is the interest I don't understand but he kept coming and finally he was actually one of the people that I saw after the pandemic and I said to him uh, uh, you know do you remember your mantra yes and I said, would you like to come to the group meditation? Yes. And this time he came and he sat and he closed his eyes. Now, um, I said to him, you didn't used to close your eyes. You didn't even used to sit down. He goes, yeah. Um, like, well, did <laughs> <laughs> you want to, why is that, you know? Um, you know, and he didn't really tell me. So what do I take from that? Um, something had changed for him. Yes, I do. I have, I've not had any issues where people, there'd been too much stress release at all. Actually, in a minute, I'd really like to tell you about the women in, um, who are the incarcerated, uh, formerly incarcerated women that I taught because they're actually much more vocal about what they're feeling. And I had more of an insight, you know, again, very traumatized people who have the potential to release a lot of stress and, um, 
Well, they, they were, um, a couple of them were reluctant to close their eyes, but they did close their eyes and they were fine, actually. They, it, the, the two reasons, one, they don't like closing their eyes around other people because they don't trust other people, but two, it's scary when their eyes are closed. Mm-hmm. It's just scary and that's the stress release and that happens when they go to sleep, which is not very often. But they meditated extreme, you know, they had a great, great time, like the, their own words being that it was a profound experience for them. Actually, I don't think they use the word profound, but that's my interpretation of what they were saying. Yeah, one woman at the end of it who had just got out of jail, uh, it was really beautiful actually, she um, had just got out of prison on Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day this year. And she came to the class, so, the, you know, she did the full course. And at the end of the course, um, I heard her saying to herself, I'm a meditator. I'm a meditator. <laughs> I <laughs> love really, that. Yeah. Just, oh, my um, gosh. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I'm sure you feel this. I certainly do. That when people, that it, it, it's extraordinary to be a meditator, you know, to actually have the ability to close your eyes and to go inside and to be able to experience what we do you know, at the very least, it's comforting, at the very least. And we've got the ability to self-soothe so easily, you know. And it's just, if, that, if that's all you experience, which is not even all, but if that's what you experience, then that is extraordinary. And that's what they that's what they experienced in that class. Um, and I was just, you know, I was kind of just so proud of them because they just kept coming back. They did it. They were going to Amazon each day to work. So they would come to the class at nine in the morning, then 11, they'd go to Amazon. It was a long trip out there. It was two hours or something. They'd meditate on their way home and they'd be getting home late and then they'd get up early in the morning and then come to class. It's really, yeah, really good. And what it said to me was, oh, they're really, you know, sometimes I think, does anyone actually want us to teach this? <laughs> you know, it's like, because if you don't, it's fine. I won't do it. You know, I really want to, I want to be useful, um, but I want to be useful to those who actually want it. And if they don't, that's absolutely fine. That made me realise, no, there is, there's an absolute, um, it's not me deciding there's a need, there's a desire. Just it, just uh, show people what's available. And there is a huge, I think that there's a huge number who will take it. I think it's just about us getting organized and getting out there. I had a, a student come um, through the grapevine to me who was on her way to, to jail and she was desperate to learn before going to jail. Right. And Cause she was like, I, I, I need something to help when I'm in there, something yeah. to help, you know, the interstate, you know, the, the inner, and that's what's so fascinating to me about jails and prisons is they are metaphors for to some degree what we all experience which is that karma that binding effect of our own ignorance and that feeling of 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 being bound you know what that feels like what that does to our behavior um and so to me that the the beautiful um contrast between someone going having to go into a jail or go into a prison and being bound on the outside in every possible way but then finding a technique that then releases the inner experience and the binds on the inside so that they find that freedom and that light, like you say, um, while still being bound on the outside. And really the outside bounds are, are nothing compared to the inside ones. <laughs> um, 
Um, exactly. You put that so well. And I often think, really, when you're in prison, it's it's kind of this great opportunity to learn. You're sort of fast-tracked if you want to. You're fast-tracked down this path of self-realisation. When if you're, if you're not in prison, you're distracted by all of the things that are in the world around us. <laughs> it's usually right. most of us come to meditation when, you know, we're at the end of the road, you know, we're kind of like beside ourselves with anxiety or, or whatever. Um, but in prison, actually, you're... I'm not explaining this as that well, but I think that it's actually this incredible opportunity. It's mm -hmm. you know you've probably heard Tom Knowles talking about meeting Nelson and Mandela and and yeah. Nelson Mandela talking about what happened with him in prison and the self-realization that occurred for him through mm -hmm. being in prison. So obviously we're not sitting around going, "Hey, great, look, let's get people into prison <laughs> in order to <laughs> give them the opportunity," but let's make as many of us available as possible to be available to those people who want to once it's explained to them experience what what we teach i i think we just need to get a ton of us in there absolutely like it's it, to me when covid happens and we all in a way we all kind of had to go into prison <laughs> it was our home yeah but you know it it was that opportunity to go inward you know the distractions mm -hmm. are gone now nature has taken it all away. We've sent us to our room, so to speak. Uh -huh. So we can we can finally turn inward. And so yeah. so if there are those who life has bound them into a situation where the only place to go is inward, the having people in there like us or others who can go in to help them learn how to go inward and turn that experience into one of an opportunity, not just for them, but for everybody they come in contact with who see the 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 evolution that is created from that is it's um, it's it's massive it could be massive absolutely i think so too um and i think you know one of the things i love about this transition is that we're not proselytizers you know we yeah we, we just tell people what we're doing and if they want to do it great um so given that what we teach is easy it's easy to teach, easy to, sorry, it's easy to learn, easy to practice. Um, you know, I really think it's kind of perfect for prisons. Yeah. And um, I think that the more of us that are willing to do it, I think it's a, it's a, it's a willingness and that somehow we've got to kind of crack a code. <laughs> There's some code that will mean that then it will, the, it will be easy for all of us to start doing it. But I'm not sure what that code is yet. And maybe yeah. it will work out with you in San Quentin. Mm -hmm. um i'm hoping that through working in rikers island it's a bit like building a resume um that yeah. i'll then be able to say i'll be able to go to a prison in upstate and say okay so this is what i teach and i've got a ton of people who are going to help me so this is what we want to do that's kind of my aim and it doesn't even have to be in upstate new york it can be anywhere yeah yeah i mean you're you're the pioneer of it mm -hmm. so <laughs> so yeah. by by getting in there and, and figuring out the systems i mean that's the hardest yeah. part the teaching the teaching you know teaching is the the easy part yeah. it's it's getting in there figuring out the logistics and um and like you said building up a reputation that so other places have the confidence to to replicate the program yeah, that's right. And, you know, what the prison administrators will do is they watch you. They watch to see whether you're, I, I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but also just from what 
a yoga teacher told me actually said they watch you they watch to see whether you are kind of easily uh frightened I suppose you know how you conduct Mm -hmm. yourself yeah yeah and one thing that I've learned is on that through people telling me what I should learn (laughs) is one thing is um they what did they say that they do we swear on this podcast <laughs> you can do whatever you, you want do whatever you want. okay so what did they say that um you can't bullshit a bullshitter you know so these people bullshit so you start mm-hmm. bullshitting they will absolutely pick it pick it so you know be real <laughs> that was the first thing and then the second thing was always uh always refer to or at least acknowledge the corrections officers first of all before anything because they Mm. feel that the prisoners get a lot of rewards that they shouldn't we might think that that's not right but that's often the thought of the corrections officers they don't feel that they get much of a go they certainly don't feel that they get any of the kind of the perk that the perks (laughs) that the prisoners get so Acknowledge the prison officers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, just basic common politeness, really. But anyway, sorry. Go, no, go no, on. no. I, I remember when Tom was telling us all about your your work. Um, because yeah. when we wanted to do it, Tom told us that he actually started first teaching the, the guards. And then the guards were like, hey, it would be a great idea to teach right. the prisoners too. And, um, and he told us that the prisoners started to get interested in your work and ask you about it so i'm sure the guards the guards i'm sorry not the the prisoners the guards started to get curious and ask you about it and so i'm sure they they saw something so could you tell us a little bit about that as well (laughs) (laughs) well i would love to teach the corrections officers i really generally the ones that i meet uh you know i i really enjoy talking to them um yeah, well, what happened was very early on when I would arrive in this particular house to teach, um, you know, the, the corrections officers, they would kind of tease me in a in a way. You know, when people are teasing you, it's often because actually they like you. It's actually it's a good <laughs> sign when someone teaches you. So they would just sort of gently tease me about something I was wearing or something I said or my Australian accent is just like, oh, here's Crocodile Dundee and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Um, so we'd all laugh at that and um this is a knife no this is a knife we do that you know, if you've ever seen crocodile dundee yes. anyway they love that and they always do it and they keep doing it anyway so then they, i guess they worked out that you know i could laugh at myself or whatever and what started happening when i would arrive is that this one particular guard and then the other guard started doing it they'd sit when i arrived in walked in the door they'd be sitting with their hands in a mudra and they'd be going, with their eyes closed, they'd be going, um, um, <laughs> which is not how we meditate. But they thought it was hilarious. And I thought it was pretty funny too. So, yeah, um, then what happened was, so there was this kind of like an openness from them. And then one of the guards said to me one day, it was kind of like behind his hand, he kind of said to me, so um, does meditation, does it give you clarity? i like, oh. Actually, it does. Yeah, it gives you enormous clarity. Why do you ask? He goes, oh, no, no reason. I was asking. Practically, he said, I was asking for a friend. He didn't say that. as well. Um, And then he and I sort of started emailing each other and we talked a bit about it. And he said that, you know, that there's a number of guards or corrections officers, as they're known, um, who would really like to learn. 
And then the more I go in there, the more I'm asked by these these guards, who these corrections officers, um, they were saying, I, we, you know, we'd really like to learn. We'd really like to learn. And one woman even was going to take me out to her place in Long Island and get me to teach her and her husband. That was, mm. I mean, that didn't actually happen, but that's what she was talking about doing. doing. So I think I will end up teaching them. Um, but at the moment, I'm going through the volunteers way. That's mm -hmm. so I'm volunteering and it's with the incarcerated people. Do you teach the corrections officers? I need actually to go through the administration, which will be a good thing because it will be good to actually, with the administration as opposed to the volunteers programs, they're two separate parts. One runs the prison, the other runs the volunteers services and the programs for the prisoners. So it will be good to, for that to happen, but hasn't happened yet. It will. I suspect it will anyway. It's been interesting as we've been, um, you know, we, we started our, our nonprofit around the same time you started uh, your work as well, like right before the pandemic. So it's, you know, haven't had as much action as we'd like, but it's certainly a lot of time to think about why it is we want to do what we're doing. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's fascinating to think about if you want to raise the collective consciousness and really focus attention on areas that don't typically have, you know, where meditation doesn't normally go. Um, you know, my first thought was finding the people who are suffering, you know, the victims. But then it's interesting to think about it in terms of like, all right, well, there's the victims, the people who are suffering the most. Um, and then you have those helping the victims or the helping the traumatized, helping the, those who are suffering. And then you have those who are causing the suffering who are also many times also victims, <laughs> you know, that that line is not, is not a clear line. But in terms of, you know, in the work we do in terms of who we target, really incorporating all three of those categories, in a sense, um, as a way to really help move the needle um, and, and almost bring, rather than bringing meditation to those with the most resources, with the most, um, you know, luck in their lives, let's say, but going almost from the outside into the out to the far reaches of society. And to me, prison is like that furthest reach where not only is it a far reach of society, but it's, it's literally people who have been put away <laughs> as far from society as possible. And if you can uplift there, it's almost like from there, you can uplift the whole thing. Hmm. Well, what, like the, if the, if, it will certainly the way that I've thought about it is that if you can demonstrate that it has an impact on a prison, then people right. outside are going to be impressed and exactly. more of them will want to learn. You know, I definitely suspect that that will be true. I'm actually amazed though at how often people say to me, it's amazing that you work in prison. It's great they're getting meditation. But yet they don't actually want to meditate, meditate themselves. themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. 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 I I think that there's a lot of sympathy from progressives towards people inside prisons, full stop. So, you know, they think mm -hmm. that they should be getting something. But what they don't actually get is that they're getting the keys to the kingdom. You're giving, this is what I say to them. You know, I, I say that you're getting the best meditation. This is my, obviously my opinion. But my opinion is that what we teach is the best meditation that you could learn. Um, it's not a competition, um, but I, I say it's the best in the sense that it gives you an opportunity to transcend and to reach the absolute. 
and it also is easy to learn and easy to practice. So I say to them, you're getting what people pay a lot of money for. You're actually getting, it's like the keys to the king, that's keys to the kingdom. And, you know, I don't know if it has any impress. I don't, not sure if that impresses them. I'm not trying to impress them. I'm trying to say you're getting the best, <laughs> you know, we're giving, mm-hmm. we're giving you the best. And in a way, um, I think they deserve it. I think anybody who gets in front of a meditation teacher and takes that opportunity inherently deserves it. I'm sure you talked about deserving power on your on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think these people who who do deserve it, and I think that the very fact that I've got the desire, you've got the desire, you've got the desire to do this says, oh, this should be done. It's coming from the divine, this idea that people do this and that therefore there is a reason for that and it's for the collective evolution. So yes, I think prisons for that reason are going to be a powerful, are going to have a powerful impact on the wider collective, the teaching in prisons, yeah. I'm always fascinated by how people come to meditation you know, the, the path in life, if you trace back all the steps it took them to reach whatever it was that point, I think we might've talked about it in here before, but everyone has a, a point of enough, you know, they've had done enough research, done, had enough stuff happen to them to, you know, they, they've tried the formula of finding happiness and fulfillment on the outside enough times and karma has come and, and, you know, they've had enough difficulty in their lives to finally turn within. And so that path is, is, it's a similar pattern for everyone who comes to meditation. It's just a completely different story. And so to, to find that, that someone's story involved, they found meditation by going to jail or prison. (laughs) It's, it's very interesting to me. That's, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's absolutely fa- it's absolutely fascinating when you think. I mean, Nelson Mandela's, um, you know, I guess you would say self-realization, not through meditation, but through particular kind of self-taught practices, is my understanding in in prison. The way that it, that then arguably kind of propelled him to the you know immense not only immense status in South Africa but internationally the way that he walked out of that place shook the hands of his guards you know the kind of incredible you know inner beauty of that human being um that has a huge impact on people and and honestly when I used to hear the stories of people who have been impacted by um, meditation in prison and and what they are then able to do in prisons, you know, it's incredibly impressive. In fact, you know, there is one guy in um, San Quentin that you might have come across or you might have heard of. His name's uh, Jarvis. I should remember because that's my last name. His first name's Jarvis, (laughs) but I don't know what his second name is. But he, he does mindfulness. So when I say that, and I just want to make this clear, you know, when I say that I think that Vedic meditation is the best uh, meditation, it's absolutely not, it's not that I don't acknowledge that there are other very um, respectable, powerful techniques. This is, you know, so I just want to make that clear. He has done incredible things in San Quentin, this um, Jarvis guy that I'm referring to. I've got a book about him and um, uh, Pema Chodron, the, Buddhist teacher has come in and visited him and um he has done you know enormous things like um you know his story is incredible so when you talk about how someone came to to meditation you know he he came to meditation by one 
uh, he was accused of killing a guard. So he was already in prison. He was in, accused of killing a guard, which he says he didn't do. And when he was, and he was then convicted of that through the court system that that, you know, internal prison court system. When, um, when he was uh, about to be sentenced and he ended up on, on um, death row, um, when he was about to be sentenced, uh, a woman was coming in each time and taking him, writing his story down because that's what you then take to the judge. So the judge hears what sort of background you come from, etc. She was a meditator and she said to him, well, you know, you should do X, Y, Z. And that's how he came to um, mindfulness. His story is an incredible story and the impact that he has had on other prisoners there. He's still in there. You know, he, he's still in there. And there are others, you know, I don't know if, you you know, anybody who's listening and, and you two may have heard this or may have watched this or may not have, but the um, incredible story of the Dharma brothers in Alabama prison. Now, uh, men who um, basically the uh, Vipassana organisation ran runs 10-day, and I think they're still doing it. There was a, a gap there because the program was closed for various reasons um actually christians put an end to it actually um yeah so <laughs> that's a whole other podcast <laughs> yeah well that's what happens perhaps when you're successful i'm not sure but but this is a very successful program that the Vipassana people were running in the Alabama prison. And so they would run these 10 day work um, retreats in there. They did it in the gym in Alabama prison. And, and there's a film about this fantastic film, because what you see is some of these men before they go in to the, to the um, 10 day program. And then when they come out and they're very different people when they come out and it, you know, and, and I, I actually think that this is what we can be doing in prisons. This is be part of this, you know, when I was talking about working in prisons for five years, like to work in a, one prison, a group of us for five years, that we run 10-day um, retreats. Like, so for the first few days, we teach meditation. And then for the following five days, just do a very gentle rounding program. And that we do this, like, you know, in cycles. So we go in for 10 days. And then somebody else goes and does another group for 10 days. And then this all be measured because obviously you would have a pretty big impact if you, if you did something like that. And certainly what they showed in the Alabama prison, the effect on those men's lives is just remarkable. So maybe in your show notes or whatever, if I can, I'll send you a link to that. People might like to watch that video. And then there's a, there's a beautiful film made about it. And about five years later, Oprah interviewed some of them. And then you get to see the impact oh, on wow. them, yeah, afterwards. So it's really great. Yeah. I'd love to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for this. Um, speaking of show notes, how can we, you're, you're, I want to hear a little bit more about um, the light with it, the light inside. Light inside. The light inside. Um, is it, you said, is that just coming into to formation now or? Yeah. Is it a non uh, yeah, it's actually, it's an LLC for various reasons. I didn't make it a, a nonprofit, but um, it, I mean, you know, at some point what I'll be doing is there will be um, uh, a nonprofit who will basically scrutinize how I <laughs> use my money. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I so wonder who having... that could be. <laughs> no, I, 
find someone who'd be into that. <laughs> if you hear of anyone, could you let me know? <laughs> uh, maybe someone who's got something to do with Vedic meditation. Yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll look around. <laughs> so I look, I said I, I basically set it up so that I would look professional. And so it's not just me going in, it's an organization. But um, I do intend, the idea is to attract funds to pay uh, teachers to go in, you know, so that they can leave their, their teaching, leave their home and, the, you know, they go and teach. Because it might be, it might end up that we end up in somewhere like Oregon or something where none of us <laughs> come from, uh, you know, and we'll need accommodation, we need the whole thing. And so people need to be paid. So that's yeah, that was the point of setting up the light inside. So at some point that that is going to become operational. I'm I've got a I've got the URL, but I haven't. I'm just putting together the website now, actually. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. so as soon as that's up and running, we can put that in the show notes so that people okay. who want to contribute can do so. Yes. Right. Um. Yeah. Sure. I'll put my I'll put the URL there because it is alive. It's just uh, there's not a lot happening on the website. It's just under construction. <laughs> um, and I'll send you the stuff about the Dharma Brothers and anyone who's interested in this area. Um, I'd also like to send you something else where there's a there's this woman who goes there's a there's a video of where she gets all of the people. She gets a ton of men together in a on the in the kind of a gym outside area of a prison. And she gets them to step into the circle. She asks them to put up their hand to anyone who's ever been, you know, she goes through a series of traumatic events. And so she'll say things like, has anyone ever been spoken to badly? So they put up their hand, everybody steps in. Then she says, has anybody ever been told that you're worth nothing? And they, and the next, they step in again. And she goes through these layers and layers and layers right through for different types of assault. Have you ever been assaulted? Have you ever been told you're worthless? Have you ever been told that? Have you ever been um, raped? Have you, you know, and it goes like this. And until there's like no one on the outside, they're all, you know, and the point is to make the point that these people, these men in maximum security have all been traumatized basically. Mm. Yeah. So I'll send you that as well. That's there that's such a profound thing to watch actually yeah. just hearing you talk about it yeah i have chills on my heart. Over. <laughs> yeah yeah me too um thank you so much joe this was so beautiful to hear you talk amazing and if there's anything Thanks. that we can do to support or help we are open yes more than willing <laughs> okay great thank you so much it's just yes. great to yeah it's great to connect with you and as i've said before i really enjoy your podcast <laughs> you go to sleep to it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> tell everyone that yes it's true i have i have done right. so we're honored <laughs> <laughs> yes we are <laughs> uh, jager dave thank you so much. Dave, thank you so much yeah.